So therefore, be proud to be a decent American rather than be just a wanker whipping up fear. Because you're supposed to tackle people, you're supposed to hit people at pace and hit them hard as part of the game. It's not chess we're playing. Hello, everybody, and welcome along to WCS One Two Four. My name is Danny Murray. I'm Gwen Merrigan. All right. You always do that now at the start of it. All right. Some people are giving out to me about it. Other people are going, "Oh, I don't know how I feel about it." Yeah, some people. I think it's a filler. I've got mixed reactions. Some people are like, "What are you doing? What are you doing, Matthew McConaughey?" At the start of it. All right, all right. right. You know what I mean? And then other people are like, "Will you stop doing that, please?" Yeah, Maxie, I don't like it. You've decided just there in the last <laughs> five seconds. I there, I don't like it. Well, then it's staying. It's like, all right. It's staying, then. It okay. is definitely staying. Um, it sounds like we're on the love zone in Q102. No, it doesn't. It does. When you all say, right. all right. Um, I'm yeah. expecting to hear a Barry White song or something coming up. I haven't heard a Barry White song in donkey's years. I can't even think of one now. My darling, I, <laughs> I can't get enough of your love. Is that Barry White? I'm fairly certain that's Barry White. Yeah, leave it with him. <laughs> Just gonna leave that silence hang. <laughs> but see, we'll see, it doesn't work because you've got me so many times with it. And then last week, I I got you with it. Was that last and week? Yeah. So it's done now. We need it's a done. new one. We right. need a new one. WTS. One, two, four. One, two, four. Yeah, and... Um, uh, I wanted to plug something I can't remember what I wanted to plug doesn't matter I can plug it next week no what did you want that's gone doesn't matter gone, doesn't yeah matter. we're both hard and hungry so. yeah <laughs> starved leaping <laughs> it's far more important than any plugs yeah this yeah. is like 2 in the morning we had to stay up because oh. it's, uh, I'm only joking yeah no we're only joking Ewan McKenna is our guest this week as you may have gathered if you listen to the 600 our midweek mini podcast which is available for you to download every Wednesday or Thursday depending on when I get to edit it mm. a little disclaimer there you um, there is absolutely no point in us doing preamble to this. As this is a great discussion. Yeah, Ewan McKenna is an absolutely fantastic journalist, and I trip over my words as I try to give him a decent intro while we had him. Um, but nonetheless, I, uh, I, I genuinely uh, like in the aftermath we were both saying like he's one of the journalists along with kind of Dave Hannigan, Ken Early, and the like that we seek out their work because mm. you know Paul, no, no, Paul no, Kimmage, Paul yeah. Howard. 99 times out of 100, you're going to read it and rather you agree with it or not, you're going to go, I'm happy I read that. That always happens with me. You know? Um, and that's the test. You don't have to agree with it, but if you like, if it makes you think and it makes you want to read more. And his piece that we mentioned with, about uh, Humphreys, Tom Humphreys, it's a must read. Yeah, it is. That and I can't remember the girl's name. From Sinead the O'Carroll. Sinead O'Carroll. Those two pieces on the Tom Humphreys debacle were just... Mind blowing, brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Br- th- that is what journalism is. Yeah, those two pieces, um, were just Hugh McKenna and, and Sinead O'Carroll. If you haven't read them, go back and read them because you'll want that, to read them after after this. That is what journalism should be. Absolutely brilliant. But anyway, look, enough. Go straight to will you? Marrow, bring them in. Here we are. This is Hugh McKenna. Hugh McKenna, thanks very much for joining us. First and foremost, um, Abs- absolute pleasure from Brazil. Yeah. From Brazil, the, uh, the 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 warm summer in Brazil, about thirty five degrees here, and uh, basically a civil war on the streets. It's not the the Brazil people see in the ads. We're uh, we're heading for seventy thousand murders this year. Uh, Holy shit! So it's it, it can be a bit rough. I was uh, 
actually back at the end of July I was on a, a long haul bus back from a, a football match about 12 hours overnight and in the middle of the night a, a car drove into the side of the bus four guys got on with guns and kidnapped us for five hours which was uh, what? absolutely ter- absolutely terrifying yeah so hang on so uh, 30 something degree heat I, I wouldn't you, you couldn't give me enough money to, to sit in that in the first place. And then you're describing 70,000 murders and kidnappings. You and why haven't you come home? Come home? I, I, I like the edge. Uh, <laughs> although, <laughs> although my wife, I think that was my wife, who is Brazilian and lived in Ireland for eight years, uh, had been at me for a couple of years to move back to Europe. Um, and that was kind of the final straw. So I think... Uh, Next year around the World Cup, obviously, I hope to go to Russia and cover it, but uh, I may be moving back somewhere to the, the mainland continent, maybe Portugal. To try and keep some of the weather, I suppose. Keep the weather without a, a gun being jammed yeah. in your face. <laughs> <laughs> and Lewis Hamilton and, and his F1 team were held up at the weekend, weren't they? Were they? they were, and yeah. a, another one. It, it's, it's really common down here. Uh, carjackings are really common. Uh, and it's not like at home because of the gun culture. Like back at home, if there are a couple of lads in a bar who get a bit messy, someone goes home with a black eye. Uh, down here, if a couple of lads get a little bit messy, you tend to end up with a few body bags. And uh, <laughs> the, the, the kidnapping that you happen to be a victim of, obviously a happy ending, thankfully. But, I mean, what, what the hell transcript? What, what, how did... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I wasn't expecting that. What happened? Like, how did it come to an end? Uh, well, it was. It, it happens all the time down here. In fact, uh, it didn't even make the news because there were four <laughs> other four. There were four other buses outside a, a town about the size of a tide that had happened that night. It, it's regular out there. Uh, and and what I was I was half asleep and uh, I managed to hide my laptop under. Uh, I sat on it when I saw them coming on and I put my wedding ring in my mouth. Uh, and I didn't want them to know I was a foreigner or a gringo, as they know down here, because they might think I've more money than I actually do. Uh, but I was wearing a Peruvian soccer hoodie. Uh, so the guy started speaking in Spanish to me, so I didn't have a clue what he was saying. But oh. uh, they, they, tied up the, uh, they tied up the driver in the toilet and drove the bus off into the middle of nowhere in a field and uh, proceeded to rob everything and shove guns in people's mouths. And... Uh, a couple of hours later, they took the keys, threw them in a river, and disappeared off into the middle of nowhere. And one person had managed to hide their phone, and they got in contact with the police, and the police showed up about four hours later. Oh, Jesus. That is fucking mad. Oh, my God. That was the last yeah, thing I Yeah, I remember, I remember looking, at the, looking at the guy's eyes. He had this gun pointed at me, and you could just tell crack is the big drug down here as opposed to heroin. And you could just see it in his eyes that he was out of it. And... Uh, you were just hoping, don't pull the bloody trigger, you know. Let, let's not end this here. Uh, so, Fucking thankfully, hell. no blood no blood was spilt. So, uh, I'm, I'm still here to annoy people on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. That, I, uh, I'm fairly certain I won't be going to Brazil anytime soon off the back of that now, yeah. <laughs> no, That's I wouldn't for a few years yet. Well, the, exchange rate, <laughs> the exchange rate is getting better. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. You haven't you haven't lost your Irish touch anyway. Oh, geez, good value though. Good value. Huh? Um, well, well, speaking then of Brazil and uh, all the crack that goes with Brazil, uh, everybody's friend, including yours, Conor McGregor, I suppose was you know his crown achievement was beating a Brazilian. Um, but this weekend his antics, or this weekend gone rather, his antics were uh, less than appealing to the masses. Thankfully, yeah, to the I, don't know how, I don't know how he wasn't arrested. 
And I, I genuinely, because yeah. I look back, he, he, he was considered, because he wasn't in anyone's corner, uh, yeah. regardless how famous he is or talented he is, he was considered just another fan at that event. Now, if a fan runs onto a football pitch and attacks a referee, comes back off the pitch, tries to get back on and slaps another official in the face, I would have thought, and this has happened, do you remember the Loud fans in the 2010 Leinster final against yeah, me yeah. as they came yeah. on the pitch? I'm amazed the Gardaí for public disorder, for breaching the peace, for, for all these things didn't arrest him. And and for UFC or MMA in Ireland, I suppose, for who I think it's Coach John Kavanagh as the head of the Irish MMA Association, that's a sport that's trying to gain credibility, yet has done nothing to one of its fighters who deems it fit to jump in a ring and attack officials. I find that absolutely bizarre. Have you, did you see John Kavanagh's comments or his reaction to it? Uh, then on, I think it was Monday, he was on RTA or TV3. TV3, 6 o'clock show, he, he, he was basically <coughs> saying that Connor's emotions got the better of him because of his relationship with the fighter Charlie Ward. Um, Which is fine. I mean, I, that's, that's admirable. Emotion is a great thing, and I'm sure he's an emotional guy, but I'm an emotional guy at times. But if I go around trying to attack officials at sporting events... Uh, I, I don't think that excuse would cut it with the Gardaí or with the Journalists Association in Ireland or with my employers. Yeah. It was it's, the same referee as well a couple of weeks ago in Poland that was yeah, telling him to sit down. Yeah. I, I worry for Connor in, in a way because... You met him, at, you met him at the start of his career, Ewan. So like you're seeing it from the start and now you're seeing... You know, he's made his millions, 100 million, we, we would say, with Floyd Mayweather. And now it's kind of... Yeah. It's kind of like the fanboys can't really defend that. Well, they do. And the problem is, and we've seen it with loads of fighters, that when you're surrounded by enough yes-men who, no matter what you do, say it's okay and find an excuse for it, you keep pushing the boundaries. And that tends to end in tears when it comes to, to fighters. And everything he does is always justified by, oh, well, he makes money off it by yeah. these people around him, as if that kind of top excuses everything uh, when I met him I think 2013 uh, was just after his first UFC fight in Stockholm I met him in McDonald's on the Long Mile Road uh, for an interview lovely guy really really interesting fella great to talk to about the different kind of martial arts be it capoeira be that Mai Thai boxing uh, Jiu Jitsu all, all these things really really interesting guy loved talking to him found him really really positive uh, but around that time, I remember he was on the Late Late Show and kind of Ryan Tubbard, he went for the, I uh, give us a one-liner and we'll all get some cheesy laughter out of it. And because everyone laughed and because it was kind of almost clickbait as one-liners, a lot of people in the media thought this is great. So every time we talk to Connor, we'll just get him to say something outrageous. Uh, and it's almost like the parody has overtaken the guy. I, I can't see the Conor McGregor I met a few years ago anymore uh, which is sad did that and that change you in your mind that changed when he appeared on the Late Late Show was it uh, it was around then but it was everyone started doing it I mean they'd kind of get some cheap laughter out of him calling this guy uh, like remember his Nazi comment to Dennis Seiver or Seaver yeah, the yeah. German-Russian yeah. guy and uh and there was other, like, there was his stuff to Jose Aldo about kind of, I'll kill every man, woman and child in the favelas. And, and all this sort of stuff got cheap laughter and no one ever told them, no, nah, that's not right. And because media were getting clicks out of it, uh, mm. so they were happy, his fans thought this is hilarious and he kept doing it. And as I say, it's like the kind of parody overtook the guy. But even that as well, like the the media kind of going for the, the click or whatever, in the 
the the moments that have come since, like you know, assaulting a referee essentially and another official. Some media have almost been reluctant, and it seems like there's this kind of fear of, oh god, if I if I badmouth them, I'll never get an exclusive, or I'll never get two minutes with them, and then that in some way is damaging to them. But I mean, surely the the integrity and their reputation has to outweigh some of that, like. You'd think, <laughs> um, uh, but more and more across media, I think people trade uh, integrity for access. And it's why, how many interviews do you ever see with guys now that are just absolute bullshit, just pure waffle? Yeah. Oh, be that a football player talking, oh, that's a tough game, they're a good team. Be it Jim Gavin saying the same thing, being it whatever. I mean, it's just bland crap. Yeah. And and to get that bland crap, they won't go after what they're supposed to. Now, a lot of people do, a lot of great journalists out there, but a lot don't as well. Ewan, do you, do you think the Connor that you met in the McDonald's and the Connor that we see now are two different people it's almost like the person you met the real connor um in mcdonald's and now it's almost like a tv character would that be fair to say yeah a, a bit of that and of course fame and that amount of money and suddenly going from like that day on the long while road he, he used to treat himself to a, a coffee at mcdonald's that was his big treat once a week and he called his girlfriend at the time to come and give him a lift home after it because he had nothing and it was a really great story from a guy who was in a dole queue to the guy who went for a job, I think, with Boyle Sports, and they told him no, and the next thing they're looking to sponsor him as an yeah. MMA fighter. The guy who kind of came from hating being a plumber's apprentice to uh, going against his family's wishes and saying, this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to achieve at this. And, and making it in that, of course, is going to change you. But I think part of the problem maybe is that Making all that money and winning all these titles needed to be part of the journey, whereas he kind of sees it as, and he's, those around him see it as a destination. There's still an awful lot of good Connor can do, and he does do a lot of good. I mean, I know he's been in Crumlin Children's Hospital and all these other things, but there's an awful lot he can do now he has this money. It shouldn't just be the end. It should be just part of him becoming the best he can be. See, it's like it's interesting because I mean I was one of the people that was completely taken by him. Like I, I was all over the bandwagon, and I was, you know, like I mean we travelled myself and I travelled to Vegas. I went twice. You've gone three times to see him fight, is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I was a massive, massive supporter. But in the last, definitely the last twelve months, you know, I found myself having to defend him, and I kind of felt, why am I defending this guy? And then the. The, the Mayweather stuff then I kind of got a little bit more tired of it and then this latest stuff I'm like ah oh, no I can't, I can't I'm done with him like I just can't there's too many incidents now that it feels like you know why why am I trying to defend something that I don't necessarily have that support for like I just as a fan you know what I mean but plus he hasn't been fighting and I, I don't know how much I mean when he was winning and there was stuff around fights some people might say, rightly or wrongly, well, look, he's, he's the sports star. That's psychology. That's getting inside a guy's head. I don't necessarily agree with that over everything he said. But he was actually fighting. I, I don't consider the Mayweather fight to be a fight. I thought it was nah, a freak a show and a circus. It's a shit show, so, yeah. I, so when exactly is the last time Conor McGregor has done what he's good at? Eddie Alvarez, last year. Last November, Eddie Alvarez. Last November. Yeah, it's, over, it's over 12 months now, eh? He needs to get back in the octagon and do what he's good at rather than showing up in the news for every other reason. Or if he's not going to get back into MMA, do something else positive or a career or some other way. Don't just sit down and make a fool of yourself at regular intervals while, while not actually doing anything else. Do you think that will come with age? 
I, I don't know. Again, we've seen it with so many fighters, and because a lot of them come from, I suppose, socially deprived backgrounds, they're not used to having money, they're not used to having success, and the people you put around yourself are vital. And from what I've seen of the people around him, including John Kavanagh, who seems to be making excuses for everything he does, um, I don't know if that's going to come with age. In fact, I think with more money and more people telling him you can do what you want and with never taking responsibility for anything, I could go the other way and I could end up badly, very badly, as we've seen with a lot of fight sports, and I hope not. There's definitely an element of kind of the emperor's new clothes with him. Just people are, it seems those around him are not willing to say anything contrary to what he wants to hear which i definitely agree with you when you're saying like the further that goes along it can only get worse like there can't be a positive to come from that yeah and i mean i, I was glad he apologized i saw he apologized i think was it yesterday for what happened at the weekend but it needs to get to the stage where rather than just kind of half-baked apologies where he's blaming everyone else before he kind of mumbles sorry at the end of it stop doing these stupid things just say um, sorry I, I i i was out of line we'll move on that's all one line is all he needs to say i think he but, is but i don't know i think i think when he is comments in poland about uh it was a faggot he kept using the word yeah, repeatedly yeah. and it took him about a week to apologize for that and then when he did apologize he blamed everyone else for it I don't know if Sari cuts it with uh, jumping in a ring and attacking referees as a fan. Um, mm. it, it might cut it from his perspective, but I think MMA in Ireland and others have to actually act on that, be that a suspension, be it a fine. If they don't, as I say, what integrity does this sport have in Ireland? What integrity does the UFC have when its fighters can attack officials? And if nothing happens, Connor, for example, the Irish MMA or was it Bellator or any of these, if they, if they do nothing about it, what happens? Can the next person not just jump in the ring and do the same? Because if yeah. nothing happened, McGregor, what's to stop other people? Well, the the UFC is pretty much being silent on the matter. But it's kind of weird because I suppose, like in Ireland, I suppose it's a little bit of a bubble because the the entire country is you know very very obsessed with Conor. But I suppose MMA is quite popular in Brazil. Has there been not necessarily about this, but I mean, do, do, you know, do, does Conor? feature at all in anything in brazil or is he still an enemy of brazil or no not really uh, their attention span would be quite short in a lot of cases down here <laughs> mma uh, <laughs> is not as big as people think actually volleyball would be by a distance the second biggest sport down here it's hugely popular really and they tend to be it's almost they don't follow players or teams they follow whoever's winning Ah. Uh, is a big part of the Brazilian culture. So, like when he was insulting Aldo, Aldo was the champ. Aldo's a great guy. Aldo loses. Ah, move on. Next, who's next? They yeah. they, they won't follow losers very long. Be interesting to see what they think of their what was at one point in time the, the greatest MMA fighter ever, Anderson Silva, testing positive for a second time. Then, it is, although you see with drugs, I mean, and and I'm quite proud of Ireland and Irish journalism and a lot of Irish journalists when it comes to doping. Um. We seem to take it very seriously. We've outed a lot of people about it. We've been very strong on it. In South America, and even in Southern Europe, I've seen this in Spain and Italy and Portugal, it's not that big a deal. You don't see reports on it in the news. If someone gets done for doping, the question isn't how long, or the question doesn't become about, oh, what did he take? Jesus, that's terrible. It's about when is he back? Uh, they don't have this 
That's fucking kind of, mad. It is ridiculous. <laughs> Although, to be fair, you get it in American sports as well. I mean, how many times have we seen guys in the NFL and in baseball test positive for steroids or whatever else, and they get a one or two game ban, and it's never mentioned in yeah. slighting their reputation? That that to me is that that's why the NFL like. I know they're facing battles because of concussion and all that, but that stuff, I mean, guys test positive and it's kind of like, up oh, two-game ban, and those two games just happen to be not the big ones. You know, they're always back in time for the big games. Like, it's baffling, like. It is, and I mean, when the Russians dope, they're up in arms over it. Yeah, it's something that goes <laughs> yeah. on within their own sports. There's Although we do that a little bit, I think, in Ireland as well. Uh, I think we're, we're great at pointing out other people who dope, etc. Um, but then I remember, like... Uh, um, Jesus Christ, what's his name? The, the show jumper. Keen O'Connor coming back from London, a hero, uh, and people forgot that his horse was doped and all of that. Um, <laughs> Water, kind of, Waterford Michelle, Crystal, was it? Waterford Crystal, that was it. And Michelle Smith, and not that there's any proof, asterisks, 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 because <laughs> the barrister now. Uh, she's still held in massive high regard, despite all the suspicion and issues around her, and despite the fact her test had enough whiskey in it to kill a horse. Um, <laughs> not Waterford Crystal, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Um, and I just like to you know, go on the record and say, I for one still believe Michelle is the greatest Irish Olympian ever. <laughs> yeah, oh, likewise. Yeah. You touched on kind of a, a topic that we wanted to go into as well a little bit and saying about Irish journalists and the great work that they've done in terms of the anti-doping, but then uh, one of those journalists who, who played a massive part in it recently, uh, well, he played a massive part in over the last while, but recently kind of... Let himself down. Yeah, with the... With, uh, the Dave, uh, sorry, the David Walsh and Tom Humphreys incident. Mm-hmm. Um, and I seen you, you kind of commenting on that, and I think you and you wrote an absolutely superb piece on yeah. that. I, I oh, ne- need much. to comment on that. That was one of the best uh, out of all that kind of tornado tornado that was going on for about two or three days. That was one of the best pieces I've written. So fair play. Uh, well, it upset me, and I think some mm. pieces when they actually have when you really care. They tend, it's amazing, like there's some pieces you could agonize over for two or three days and put all your effort into and they come slowly and they don't read that well. Whereas stuff you do care about like that, um, it just flows and within two hours rather than two days, you have a, a much better article when, when, when it matters to you. And I, I kind of, yeah, I, I found David Walsh's behavior disgusting. I found it vile. I found his morals to be so far all over the place. The guy that gave up a large part of his life to stop someone doping in cycling, would turn around and try and write a letter to influence a judge so his mate in a child sex abuse case didn't get a longer sentence. I find that absolutely astounding. Um, and I, I still do, and it's something I don't want to go away. I don't want to... And it, look, the, the, the woman, I won't call her a victim because she asked not to be called a victim, the, the previously a girl, now a woman, uh, she obviously is where our thoughts should be first and foremost. Tom Humphreys, of course, did the biggest wrong in this, but that doesn't mean what David Walsh and, to a far lesser extent, Donald O'Cusick did should be overlooked. And it kind of annoys me that David is back writing and the Sunday Times have stayed very, very quiet on this and said nothing about it. Um, I think that's hugely wrong. Um, and I, I don't, I don't see how. In a posi- his position as chief sports writer, the Sunday Times, his opinions have any authority anymore. Yeah, it, it, 
it's what there, there was other like with Donalog and Humphreys those two aside I mean Eamon Dunphy as well didn't didn't do any favours did, didn't do himself any favours on uh, Tonight Show and Matt Cooper I thought his performance was awful did you get to see that? No, it was baffling. I did, I did see it. Um, and there was a circling of the wagons and there was an element of an old boys club about the whole thing and ah, he's one of ours. And within media, we're great at telling people to look at themselves. But when the mirror was turned on our own profession here, a lot of people ran and a lot of people wouldn't condemn what should have been easily condemnable. Uh, and I, I, I think I wrote in that piece and I stand by it. I think in, in growing up in the 80s, and into, I was born in 1984, and growing up, I always wondered how sex abuse happened to such an extent in Ireland in the 60s and 70s, and nothing was done about it when it wasn't completely hidden even um, with the church and whatnot. And I only copped on to why that was allowed to happen over during the, the Humphreys case, because again, the same thing was happening. People were making excuses for someone based on who they were, not what they did. Even the judge in the case took into account his place in society and said, you know, it's a big fall for someone who's up that high. Well, does that mean the judge's job is to make sure people don't fall too far? Yeah, Which, by yeah. extension, means if you've done well in life and you abuse a child, uh, the fall shouldn't be the maximum. Yeah. Um, well, you had a bit of a back and forth with Joe Brawley, um over over the whole situation. Did you Do you think the GEA could have came out and said something, given their role? Not their role, but I mean, considering Humphreys was a volunteer with the organisation. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely do, and I mean, I've, I've said this as well that I, I, I think a lot of people kept saying Tom Humphreys, Irish Times journalist. Uh, very few people were willing to say Tom Humphrey, Humphreys, GAA coach. That is how the the girl in question believed he got access to her through her, uh, his GAA coaching work. Um, so this was a GAA story. Um, yet a lot of people ran from it, tried to say it was something else. It was a GAA story. Yet during the, the kind of month around it, uh, between um, the, Tom Humphreys pleading guilty and between sentencing, we were too busy talking about Gooch Cooper's testimonial and whatnot and how wrong that was, as if this should be overlooked for that. Um, and that's I, I regret getting into a back and forth on Twitter with Joe Brawley over it because... I don't think that was the forum for it. Um, and a lot of people came out when I deleted my tweets. I said, look, I, I made it clear to him. I said, I don't think this is the forum because it could be perceived as two journalists trying to point score over what's a sexual abuse case uh, of, of, of a minor. Um, but you had the usual people, oh, you bottled it, you bottled it. Um, I, I, rather than bottle it, I don't even want to get into that kind of thing on Twitter with people. It's insensitive. Um, so do you think Humphreys... Or not Humphrey, sorry. Do you think um, David Walsh, he didn't, I'm sorry, in terms of his statement he made um, after where he was kind of saying he regretted it and stuff like that, do you think he could have been a bit more stronger in his words? I think too little too late. Um, okay. And I've been trying to... I've, I've been trying to work this out in my head because this wasn't just like Don Cusick and writing a letter as bad as that was. Uh, in, in an interview with Matt Cooper in yeah, 2012, yeah. 
Um, he said, I know Tom and I've known him for a long time and he's a great, great man. In my view, he's a fine man and I will always believe that. I maybe know a bit more than most people about the charges and the situation that Tom has found himself in. There's no question in my mind that he's a fine man. He also wrote in the acknowledges for, uh, acknowledgements uh, for his book, Seven Deadly Sins. He, had a, he was talking about Tom Humphreys and he said, full stop, a fine man. Um, now, this goes one of two ways. I've been trying to play this out in my mind the last few weeks. Um, Either, okay, if, if he knew more, if, if, if David Walsh knew more than anyone, uh, does that mean, it means to me one of two things. A, he has no problem with it, which I hope isn't the case. Or B, um, okay, he has no problem with it. Let me phrase this differently. Okay, he either has no problem with it or he is accusing the woman of lying. Yeah. which we now know she wasn't lying. So which one of those is it? And I'd love David to answer that, because A, he either believes there was nothing wrong with it, or B, the woman was lying, if he knew more than anyone. Uh, I'd like him to clarify that. In in the in, the, in that interview you mentioned with Mike Cooper, he also said he will, after all this process is, is said and done, he will be the fine man that he is. Yeah, it's... Uh, like, it's just it, baffling. It's interesting. It is, and people will say in defence, oh, maybe he just believed his friend... Uh, and that's why maybe Tom Humphreys misled him. But that leads to option B. That means he is accusing the woman, or he was accusing the woman, of lying. Uh, a woman who was abused. Here we have the chief uh, sports writer of the Sunday Times accusing her of lying, if that's the case. And then his statement, I, I found this use of language I found really troubling after the case. He said the girl whose trust Tom betrayed, uh, rather than using language like the child he groomed and then defiled might have been a better way of, of quoting it. Um, then he said, I wrote a personal character reference for Tom because we have been friends for 30 years and despite the serious wrong he could done, he had done, I could not abandon him. And that's not good enough. That's that's actually really disturbing and creepy and troubling. Yeah, big time. And and Dunphy, when he was on, um, when Eamon Dunphy was on with Matt Cooper and Ivan Yates, there was a, I think, I think there was a phrase that really troubled me as well where he said, he knew of the underage sex, but he didn't know about the other stuff. And he was almost saying it as if that was acceptable or, you know, forgiving. Yeah, look, and, and when you're on live TV or you're doing live radio, you can say things you don't mean. But if you're going to say things like that, you better clarify them pretty quickly afterwards. And I didn't see any clarification. So as I say, I mean, it really goes back to a kind of an old boys club circling the wagons over something as serious as child sex abuse. Yeah. Um, there was a time there as well, a couple of months back, Yoon, uh, where I actually got involved in the in the Twitter kind of uh, tweets um, with yourself and a guy you you put up a tweet um in relation to a Bohemians footballer um Akinadi. Yes. Um and the the someone tweeted you in relation to your comments about Tom Humphreys uh, in the past in terms of what 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 was he trying to accuse you of there? I don't know. I, I, I did an interview with someone and one of the questions was uh who were the journalists that influenced your career? And I said, Paul Kimmage, I said, Paul Howard, and I said, Tom Humphreys. Uh, when I was starting out in my career, it was the late 1990s. Um, and he did influence my career. I read an awful lot of his work, and he was a, a brilliant sports journalist. So I'm not really sure why I should lie about that because of something I didn't know about and that only came out 20 years later. And I don't think that changes anything, you know? Yeah, but he, want, he, he, was, want, he was wanting to send you uh, your solicitor in Brazil a letter and all. I was like, what the hell's going oh, on here? <laughs> Well, 
you should see my private messages. Put it that way. My uh, God. <laughs> what? <laughs> and and I, I I tweeted something, but then he completely debunked me because I'm a Shamrock Rovers fan. So and obviously the rivalry between Shamrock Rovers and Bowers, I'm not supposed to have an opinion. But with it's that, nice, is, it's nice of you to use Shamrock Rovers fan and not just hooligan there. Should be a doubt. Well, but what what would because that that player there he he'd been hired by two previous League of Ireland clubs um, and Bohemians, and I believe he's on his way out to Bohemians and going to Waterford. Um, Given that he is a convicted, um, he he got he was convicted of of rape. What what led you to tweet that, and what do you do you think clubs should be giving him a job? Um, I'd like to know more about it because I believe there were some rulings against newspapers because of it, just from the legal perspective. In this, in terms of say, in a general sense, not him exactly. Uh, in terms of a general, if someone is convicted of that stuff, no, I, I, I don't think so. I think um, I, I, I think it's a position of privilege, and I think it's a position of influence, and I think it's a position where. You're going to have kids watching this guy, and I'm not sure if it does a club any good if they're hiring people who've done certain things. Um, I don't. I'm not saying okay, something happens in your life, you do something disgusting like that. Uh, should there never be rehab? Should all doors be closed to you forever? No, but certain doors ought to be. And what 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 led you to tweet? Where how did you come across the information about that? Because it, it just seemed uh, out of the blue. Slow day, and I was uh, Wikipedia. <laughs> well, no, I was Wikipediaing something on a slow day, and it often happens to me that I start reading one article on Wikipedia, and I click through to another link and another link, and two hours later, I'm oh, on the twentieth yeah. page. That's kind of taken me somewhere, <laughs> and that's how I came across that. Uh, so that's I, I, I tweeted it when I came across it uh, oh, because man. I was surprised it hadn't been mentioned before. The, the nerd in me wishes I could high five you there, Ewan, because I I spend hours going through rabbit hole and rabbit hole and rabbit hole <laughs> on Wikipedia. To the point where and I'm not I'm not ashamed to admit this, I play a little Wikipedia game where they give myself two topics and I'm only allowed you as five hyperlinks within articles to get to those two topics. If any nerds out there want to play that game, give it a bash. <laughs> My, Jeez, that's that's severe. That's a, I've never gone that far. Michael Collins the candy floss is oh lads, tell you, that one's tough. But uh, yeah, sidebar. That sounds fun, actually. I'm te- it does when, sound fun. When you're bored, I'm telling you. Well, I say when I'm bored, I do it in the office. I hope my boss isn't listening. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, the just kind of the the whole thing about the you, you mentioned there a few minutes ago about you know people being in a position of privilege and once they kind of offend in a certain manner that that position of privilege then should no longer be attainable to them. Is it a case though that you know talent ultimately is over is always going to overrule that, and you know whereas a big club, so to speak, may not come in for them, there's always a chance that a smaller club and kind of you know the bargain bargain basement manager who loves a, a kind of a nifty player who can do a job for them is always going to swoop in. Like, uh, I think it's it's greed is human nature, sadly. Um... I'll give you a case here in Brazil. There was a, a goalkeeper uh, called Bruno. It was uh, He was tipped to play for Brazil back in the day. He was a, a goalkeeper for a number of top clubs, Atletico Monero, Corinthians, Flamengo, three of the biggest clubs in Brazil. Um, and then he 
murdered his girlfriend and fed her to dogs. He chopped her up into little bits and fed fed her to the dogs. Fucking hell. Uh, and a club near me in the second division in Brazil called Boa Sports Club here, uh, they tried to sign him and talked about everyone deserving a second chance earlier this year in April. Uh, now, Brazil's Supreme Court since reordered his arrest uh, and that, that died a death. But they even used that to get publicity and to make money and their president was defending it and all of these things saying people deserve second chances. This is a guy, as I say, he... he uh, he tortured, murdered his girlfriend and chopped her up into pieces and fed, fed her to the dogs. Uh, so, Jesus. I mean, and that's that's the extreme end oh of it, obviously. He, so uh, you, you said they ordered his re-arrest. So was he given a jail term and he had got, uh, surely something like that would carry a life sentence? Uh, you'd think so. Uh, he was found guilty of murder, hiding the baby, kidnapping his son. He got a 22-year jail term and in 2017 he was released pending an appeal. Um, because, well, the Brazilian court system is, is interesting, as Pat Hickey is slowly finding out. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. That's another topic. I tell you, yeah. A lot, a lot, a lot of you and your colleagues were delighted about Pat Hickey, uh, Ewan. Uh, I was, I'm, I'm a disaster here. Hang on, someone's on the phone. You're grand, no work, work away, work away. I tell you, man, Brazil sounds mad, doesn't it? Nuts. Does it matter to me that really wants to go and become the nage of like Sao Paulo or something? Shane Fitz was in Brazil before. Was he? Apologies yeah. about that. Uh, Sorry, we were just going to have a little chat about Brazil there. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No butter, no butter. Yeah, but you, yeah, a lot of you, I, I know Paul Howard, who's a friend of ours, uh, he was tweeting a lot of great stories about Pac Hickey over the, over, the to- over the last 20 years or so. And I just, it was just hilarious to see all of your, you and your kind of journal mates just laughing and about all this well he, he, he was never a very nice man he was very fond of uh, throwing writs around the place um t- towards people back in the day if you go back to the george gibney case uh the, the sex abuse in, yeah. in swimming pat hickey was head of the olympic council of ireland around that time he chased one of the girls who was abused by him who tried to take her own life he uh, he chased her for legal costs yeah Jesus. Um, so that's that's the kind of man we're dealing with. So we had Ervin Muchnick on there a couple of months ago talking about the Gibney case, and I remember him saying that, and I was just appalled and just baffled by the whole thing. Like, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's. Look, I, I I just it was it, it was interesting to see his bare arse on on Brazilian TV. <laughs> A lot of journalists would have smiled at that point, and and pe- people back home will say, "Oh well, look, ticket touting, Jesus, it's not the biggest deal in the world." There are countries I really wouldn't go to and break their laws as a more so than others, and Brazil isn't one of them. Uh, yeah. And if you're going to take that risk, things happen. So yeah. where are we? Are where are we with that case? Oh, it's it's still being held up uh, Rio de Janeiro after the Olympics, uh, partly because of the Olympics, not completely, is uh, bankrupt. So hospitals have locked their doors, universities have locked their doors, policemen are out on the streets regularly begging for toilet paper for their stations, uh, murders the are through the roof down there, uh, and part of that is their judicial system doesn't have a lot of money, so cases are on the long, long finger. But this is that is the legacy of the Olympic Games of holding the of hosting the Olympics, isn't it? Though you hear horrible stories over the certainly over the last twenty years of cities that hosted it that have just gone completely. Tits very up. much so. 
It's corruption. It's, it's pure corruption. And I've said this with the Rugby World Cup as well. It's all these major sporting events are used to transfer public money into the best place, grubbiest private hands. Uh, be that with the Rio Olympics, it was handing over public land to private property developers who promised to build maybe a golf course. And then afterwards they could build uh, blocks of, of towers uh, and sell the apartments and make billions off that be that public taxpayers' money being put into stadiums. All of it is used to transfer uh, public money into the best place, private hands. And the IOC walk away with a massive amount of money at the end of it, and FIFA do, and World Rugby uh, do as well to their tax haven. They're, they're headquartered in Dublin, but registered in the Isle of Man, interestingly. Um, so, so they all do the same thing, and everybody pays so that a few people who are already best placed in society can make money, and that's just how they work. Ewan, we were getting on so well until you had to go and bring up the ugly side of my beloved rugby. Danny's a rugby fanboy, you uh, know. <laughs> As am I. I'm, I'm often told I'm not. I, I love rugby. <laughs> um, yeah, the, I suppose, yeah. You, I don't been, think we were ever going to get the Rugby World Cup. Ah, but we could dream, lads. Could we not dream? No, I didn't. Not with that bit. Not with that bit. We weren't going to get it. <laughs> was, Jesus Christ! Was the bid awful, Ewan, Was it atrocious? They put like the. I don't think people in Ireland understand the the scale of a major sporting event. Uh, like they put forward McHale Park in Castle Bar, where three quarters of it are stone slabs of seats. Like you'd have people getting piles if they sat down at this idea. <laughs> Uh, if it's Gerald Stadium in Killarney, no floodlights. They put forward Casement Park, which doesn't even have planning permission and isn't built for a tournament that's only six years away, a stadium that may never get built. Uh, they couldn't promise broadband in or next to uh, a lot of the stadiums, uh, including Porky Cueve. Um, they put Galway down as an air, a commercial airport, even though the runway is too short, so it hasn't had commercial flights since 2011. <laughs> Uh, it was a complete joke. And it's it, was, fatter, it sounds it, like fattered head stuff. It was, and they thought they could... This is the great thing, this whole Irish pub politics and their pub politicians. They get away with this stuff on a national level, and they were stunned when they took it to the international level and got shown up for what yeah, they were. Yeah, but you and we, we had Liam Neeson narrate a video. We had, we had Shane Ross with his bulletproof... Uh, his bulletproof <laughs> comments around it. And we had Brian O'Driscoll telling people, let's give the rest of the world love uh, when we can't give a lot of our own people love. Um, I, I'm, d- I'm delighted it failed. It saved the Irish taxpayer at least 337 million euros that could be well spent elsewhere. And Alan Quinlan called you a big grudger. He did, and he didn't even know my name. Yeah, I was uh, watching him. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to call someone a begrudger and make personal attacks on them, I'd, I'd at least uh, I'd at least learn their name. Although I, I love, I think begrudgery is the new word for the idiot. Uh, that they, any any idiot, anytime you hear anyone calling you a begrudger, they're an idiot. Uh, did Denmark begrudge Ireland last night? Like, uh, did, did World Rugby? Begr- and and. Technically, I can't be a begrudger because to be a begrudger, you have to uh, be jealous over something someone else already has. And thankfully, Ireland don't have the Rugby World Cup. Yeah, and I, I don't know. Alan, Alan Quinlan never struck me as anybody worth paying much attention to. Um, and especially after he gouged the eyes out of Leo Cullen all those years ago. Well, he called Ewan a um, begrudger with no substance. Just yeah. He said to Ivan, you had a begrudger on the radio earlier on. Yeah. And that's all he really said. He I'd, lo- I'd love to. I wish. I wish some. I wish they'd let me loose with these fellas. I love Paul Kimmage when he on, on that uh, on that show with uh, Luke Fitzgerald. Oh, talk yeah. to me I mean, about yeah. that. That was absolutely a mauling. 
It was a mauling, Andy, because he came personally after Paul and then expected to show up to do a podcast with someone you've personally abused and didn't do his homework. But the funniest um, part about that was 15 minutes into the podcast, the host, who I can't remember his name, and Luke were kind of going, Paul, what point are you trying to make? We're running out of time. I was like, lads, these are 15 minutes into a podcast in which you challenged this journalist to come on to. Let him have a say. Exactly, and if people want to go personal and make personal remarks about somebody's character, at least have the balls to, to talk to them face-to-face or on a podcast or over a phone line. Don't just make these little comments and then retreat behind the sofa again. I, to be honest, I, I kind of think that it worked out quite well for Luke Fitzgerald in the sense that... No, it didn't. It, it did, in the sense that his ratings went up. He was the beneficiary of a huge boost in terms of his listenership. And a lot of that has stayed with him. And, yeah, fair enough, Paul Kimmage came across as... Everyone listened it, to that for Paul Kimmage, not, not Luke Fitzgerald. I'm not disputing that, but what I'm saying is that it definitely gave th- that podcast a huge boost. And off the back of it, Luke Fitzgerald got the most attention he's got since announcing his retirement. Sure, no, that's, a, that's a win for him. Like. I think he I think he was terribly naive. I think he was ridiculous. I don't think he has learned from it either. Um, and it was shambolic. Paul Kimmage made shite of him. I'm not, I'm not disputing that. Paul Kimmage, I would expect to make shite of most people. <laughs> you know? I have to join him. I'm home in December. I have to join him for a... He said a glass of wine. I said a beer. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> you was... I, Jesus, now my brain's failing me here. But were you also involved with the whole Kimmage Armstrong thing? Uh, no. Uh, you were to interview Lance at the, the, at the sports thing, Sports Zero last year, wasn't it? That's exactly what happened. That's what um, it was. And uh, Lance pulled out at the last minute. I flew back from Brazil for it, and I was in a hotel room the night before when the organisers had told me that he'd pulled out of it because uh, I think he was a bit naive, and he did an interview with Ger Gilroy on Off the Ball leading up to it, and yeah. Ger absolutely grilled him, and he realised at that point that he wasn't coming here to a favourable audience for a soft <laughs> interview, and he, pull, he pulled the plug at that point. Were you going mad at Ger? <laughs> no, Ger did his job. Uh, it was a good interview, wasn't it? Well, it was a good interview. He absolutely did his job. I'm not sure whether he should have been put forward by the the conference organisers to do it because that may have been the outcome. You know that, that some people might have seen that's how it could could unfold. Um, no, I was disappointed. But look, the, the, these things happen. One interview with Lance Armstrong isn't. It's not exactly Frost Nixon. You know. Yeah. What did you think of Lance's tweet to David Walsh during the whole Humphreys affair? I thought it was a bit cheap. Uh, I I I don't. I wouldn't use a case like that uh, to try and score points over something that's relatively minimal, like doping, something relatively unimportant. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't use something like that to point score over. Absolutely, yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, if you can jump back to the rugby, then uh, Ewan, just uh, the autumn internationals are are in full flow and. Um, I'm not going to say you took exception, but certainly you've raised question marks over the inclusion of uh, the likes of Bundiaki, who was obviously the most recent to, to benefit from the very, very lax residency rules. Mm-hmm. Um, what what Ruby have announced, what is it, from 2020? It's going to be five years rather than three years. Does it go far enough? No. Um, and I, I, For me, it's not the amount of time. It's why guys are here in the first place. 
Um, if someone comes to Ireland, and we've had it in sport in the past from people like Sunita Puspora, the roar, to Trent Johnson, the former cricket captain, they came here and made a life for themselves, and they ended up playing international sport because they came here to make a life for themselves. Whereas a lot of these rugby cases, and it'll still be the same with five years, they have a life here because they came here to play rugby. And for me, that's an abuse of the whole idea of multiculturalism, which is a wonderful thing, and it's great that people are coming to Ireland. Uh, and it leads me to raise the question, what is the point of international sport? If you can just pay someone from anywhere who has no links to your country to line out internationally for that country, and they're all at it, what's the point? I, I've never really watched the Barbarians play, and when Ireland play now, they seem to me a, a little bit like that, just a, a group from anywhere linked by no more than a jersey. Is there nothing to be said for the guys buying into the culture when they are here, you know? And is there nothing to be said oh, for Oh, it's them? great. Fair play to them. I've bought into the Brazilian culture, but I'm not Brazilian. <laughs> <laughs> You're not playing for the local team or anything there? No. <laughs> I'm playing ultimate frisbee these days. Uh, that's that's the stage of my life I've reached, and it's uh, I took it up about a month ago, and it's bloody brilliant. So if it's the Brazilian excellent. ultimate frisbee team approach you, you're saying no. I'll have to, I'll have to say no. Morals and all that. Morals and all that. Um, like one, I suppose the question then that that people draw a, a parallel to it then is, you know, the granny rule. Surely it's it's just the rugby equivalent of the granny rule. The granny rule is in cases exploited and it hasn't always worked well, but it serves an important purpose. Um, we've benefited from in the past, but if you look at Irish history, for example, a lot of people had to leave Ireland because of our political situation, because of our social situation, because of our economic situation at various times. And it provides a link for the, the kids and, and, and the grandkids of such people who still believe themselves to be Irish, but can't live in Ireland for whatever reason. I can't afford to live in Ireland, but I consider myself Irish. Um, and if you look at other countries today, if you look at soccer teams like Albania, uh, a lot of Swiss guys are playing for them. Kosovo, uh, which has only just been recognised, you get a, a lot of guys from Albania playing for them because they were forced out of where they're from because of these reasons. But it provides them with a link because they still feel and they have a direct link to that culture. Whereas... There is no link with this uh, this this rugby rule, be it Stander, be it a key, be it uh, be it Jared Payne in the past, Richard Strauss, all these guys. Th there absolutely is no link whatsoever, and it brings me back again to what is the point of international sport if we're just going to trample on the integrity of it? But but when we see say that the situation that we had with with Martin O'Neill and um, oh shit, his name's after escaping me. Uh, the young lad who the Aston Villa player who declared for England Jack Grealish Jack Grealish like I mean it seemed as though they were tripping over themselves to try put him in a green jersey for him to ultimately you know put egg on the face of but he was but with Jack Jack was one of the old kind of 90s stories um, of the Irish team where he was brought up in an Irish family mm. um, in Birmingham and but he was born in Ireland so his ultimate decision came down to him wanting to play for England. So he says, yeah, uh, because he was born and bred there. He he had two options. Yeah. So I don't think that is an equivalent to the no, rugby situation. I'm not saying equivalent, but what I'm saying is, you know, like because you and you mentioned there that the granny rule is open to abuse, and I know the whole thing of, mm -hmm. you know, like if one grandparent out of the four happened to be. You know, let's use Ireland as an example. If one happened to be... I mean, you may never have met that granny or that grandfather, ever. They may have been, you know, deceased before you were even born. But just through that connection, you happen to be able to play for a country. 
And if you're not good enough to play for England, then, you know, Ireland comes calling. Is is that acceptable? I think it's better than the alternative. It may not be acceptable. Uh, it may be a little bit of abuse of the rule, but I think it's better to have the rule in place for all of those that do genuinely benefit from it uh, while having small cases of abuse than the opposite, which is stopping people playing for where they feel they're from and have a direct link to. Mm, so um, so then with the with the rugby scenario then, you know, uh, the, the rules are going to be expanded to five years and that, you know, uh, are we talking about then completely abandoning the, the, I think it's project players is what they're referred to. Do you think that whole system should be abandoned? Yeah, completely. Um, and people say, oh, well, others are doing it, which I find a really Irish uh, Irish attitude. Sure, it's an excuse. Others are doing it. God forbid we'd ever lead the way or do what we felt was right. And we can just say others are doing it and go the opposite way. I, th- I think with five years, though, I don't think it will change it. I think we're going to start bringing players over here younger, uh, 17-, 18-year-old guys who fit into a position of need. And in five years then, so by the time they're 21, 22, hey, presto, they're lining out for a national team that doesn't actually represent anything or anyone anymore. And do you, do you think that the whole the national team representing anything or anyone, is that problem specific to rugby, or are we in danger of seeing that across the board in a multitude of sports? I think we have seen it in a multitude of sports. Fanula Britain um, at last year's European, or the 2016, yeah, last year, uh, European Athletics Championships in Amsterdam before the Olympics. She was uh, beaten off the podium, uh, I think in the 10,000 metres. Uh, and she was fuming because the Turkish woman that won it had just been bought in by Kenya uh, in handball a couple of years ago. And I'm, I'm all over the place on these. But like, in, in handball, Qatar won the Handball World Cup a couple of years ago, and their team was basically Serbian, Montenegrin, Croatian, and Bosnian guys who had been bought in solely for the purpose of winning that World Cup. And I think as, and I'm, I'm a big fan, I think multiculturalism is great. I think people living all over the place is great, and it's to be welcomed hugely. Yeah. But I think as that happens more and more for international sport to serve a purpose, its rules have to go in the opposite direction and get stricter and stricter. Hmm. Yeah, and it, look, it, it's interesting as well. I mean, it's gonna. I, well, I mean, we have an example. Like we had a an Irish sailor on the podcast a couple of times, Saskia Tidy, who represented Ireland at the Rio Olympics, and she's now switched sides to Team GB and is in looking like in great shape to win a medal at the next Olympics. So yeah, th- that you know. was an interesting case, and I, I'm I'm trying to. She represented Ireland at the Olympics here, and yeah. she just switched over a year later to Great Britain in 2020. That yeah. was due to the retirement, I think, of her partner, Andrea Brewster. Yeah, yeah Andrea was re- retiring, and they couldn't get anybody else that a whore specific rig or skiff or I'm not sailing I'm not a sailing aficionado I wouldn't know the, the correct term. Yeah, I think it was a 49er skiff. I think yeah, that's what, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, I was uncomfortable with that move because. Uh, it's Ireland's fault, maybe, if they can't. I'm sure they can get someone else, and they're just not up to standard. But just because a country is bad at a sport doesn't mean it can break the rules. Mm. Uh, so I was uncomfortable with, with that move because I, I didn't... I, now, I could be off and open to correction, but I don't think she did any great connection to England. I think her father was born there, was he? Uh, Don Tidy. Don Tidy. Was he okay? I might, yeah. I might be open to correction. Yeah. I don't but know even that case, that but even at that, but, but I mean, even at that, I you've think represented the, the rule should be: if you represent the country, you can at one Olympics, you can't just swap for the next Olympics. Yeah, 
Yeah, and and there's been an excuse being, oh well, I can't find anyone else who's good enough to compete with me. Well, that's really not the point of of international sport. If you're not good enough, should Roy Keane have gone and played for France in 2002 because the rest of the Irish team wasn't great or whatever else, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, if 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 a soccer team has one excellent player, is that an excuse to join another country? I'd say Gareth Bale wishes it was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what what about the state of Irish football now that we're not going to another World Cup you know? uh, I would have said before and after uh, the Denmark game that the state of Irish football hasn't really changed a lot um, I think we need to step back we never do this we're going to mask it in oh Martin O'Neill's fault oh the tactics were bad and they weren't great tactics it was it was a, it was a bad night all around Um but we never step back and look at the bigger picture in terms of all this. Who is Ireland's best player? I was asking myself this earlier. And throughout this campaign, it would seem to be ability-wise, people will say, oh, it's Wes Hoolan. So if Ireland's best player is a 35-year-old uh, midfielder for a middle-of-the-table champion uh, championship club, if that's the best player we can produce, this is bigger than the team. This is bigger than Martin O'Neill. It's bigger than this result. And the question has to be, why are we producing players of this level? Um, why aren't we producing stars? And the difference really was Christian Eriksen. He was the best player on the pitch, the one truly world-class player either team have. Um, and we haven't been producing world-class players in, in a long, long time. That's why mm. we had Darren Randolph, uh, Randolph, who was brilliant in goal, but he, he had to move to the championship to get his game, to get off a substitute bench, led by Daryl Murphy, a 34-year-old is playing with Knott's Forest in the championship. If they're the best players we have, we have no right to be thinking we should be qualifying for a World Cup. Now, we mightn't lose 5-1 tactics meant that but we've no right to even get to a playoff when you look at that international football is not as strong as it used to be there's a few good teams and after that it's fairly average and even at that we're probably slightly below the average because of our, our production line because of how we go about our football and we haven't changed anything in a long time in how we produce players other countries have looked the belgian model the uruguayan model all these countries have updated stuff off the back of bad results uh, Michel Sablon was the Belgian head of their FA after the 2000 Europeans they co-hosted and they were terrible in that I think Turkey eliminated them in the group uh, yeah. and, and they said this all has to change and they revolutionised it with kids it wasn't about winning anymore it was about touches it wasn't about goals scored it was about the best formation to, to produce better players all the way up with underage Eden Hazard at one stage you think would have gone to an under 17 European Championship and helped Belgium win it and they said no put him on the under 19 team instead it'll be better for his development and the end goal was always to produce the best senior players now look at Ireland can you imagine people the FAI have to take their blame on this and so so does from the bottom up there's an issue as well can you imagine an Irish coach sacrificing a victory for the betterment of a player. I've seen coaches of under-12 teams having pints bought for them because they won some cup, as if it means anything at that level. And they're winning those by playing negative tactics, by doing nothing that will develop the player. It's all short-term personal gain. Uh, and we, we don't see the bigger picture. But see, the, the problem there to, as well with the grassroots is that if we have any kind of potential in our under-15, 17, 19 setups in the international squads, we just send them to England. And I mean, look at the England academies in the Premier League. They're just being absolutely saturated with players from all over the world that based on, um, the, the, I think that the perception already then is that this Irish young lad, now we, we let him go to a, a League One team or a League Two team out in trial and they just get, they get lost in the mix. So 
could we not look to maybe sending them to Holland if they want to to, to uh, develop as opposed to the English Premier League, or could we develop? Or you develop, or you develop them here. I was just going to um, say, now, my next, my next remark was going to be: Can we not just develop them in 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 the League of Ireland? You would think that, uh, but this comes back to our political situation, and this isn't even all on John Delaney. Um, when he tried to introduce a pyramid structure back within the last decade to Irish soccer. The first comment at an in-camera meeting when he said, let's introduce this, they said, why bother? It's a political nightmare. Uh, when Vim Coovermans was the International Performance Director of the FAI, he went to a meeting of the Schoolboy Football Association of Ireland to discuss recommendations from an underage review. Uh, and yet when one person there noted they're the kind of things that the Spanish and Germans have been doing for years, a senior SFI, FAI figure actually turned around and said, what the fuck would they know about Irish football? That's, and that's the attitude there. Um, that's always the attitude. When the Belgian model was brought up, one senior figure in the FAI at one stage, he said, ah, that's all immigration. <laughs> so we have this narrow-minded view from top to bottom um, and the politics of the Irish situation and the fact that there's the FAI and the SFAI and that's because of our history here. That means it takes an awful long time for anything to get done. And when we're starting behind and acting slower than other countries who are more progressive, we're only going to fall further and further behind. Is, is there anything to be positive about in Irish sport at the moment? Oh, uh, ultimate frisbee. <laughs> <laughs> Our greatest export is in Brazil. There's loads of the club championship. Rats New beating St. Vincent's last weekend. It was fantastic. Um, and the club championship, for example, in GEA brings kind of, uh, it's what inter-county used to be. It brings an uncertainty. It brings a freshness. It gives everyone a chance. It brings it right back to the local. It, it, it's all of those things. Um, Irish underage soccer teams, national soccer teams, they're finally, to be fair, has been a slight upturn in form. Now, I think the under-19s, or under 21s, they may have been beaten by Norway yesterday. Yeah, the 21s, yeah. last minute. Goal. 21s. Like the, the under 21s have never ever qualified for European under 21 championships. I think there have been 21 European under 21 championships since 1978. We've never ever qualified. They're second in their group to Germany at the minute. I, I think our under 17s have, have done well and have reached an elite stage. I think the under 19s are doing well as well. So, so there has been a slight upturn and, and things are getting a little, little bit better there. But I think for the real joy of sport, you have to go towards the bottom of the pyramid rather than the top at the minute. But even even the success of the underage Ireland national setup teams, there's those players are still, in my opinion, going to get lost in the shuffle in the UK academies. Uh, they might, and it is a problem given how reliant Ireland was on cross-channel academies over the years. Uh, yeah. But I, I think you have to make the best of your own situation before you start blaming things you can't influence and i don't think irish soccer right now is maximizing its potential if it did that then it could start looking outside for excuses but i think you have to perfect things inside first paul howard um during the week was tweeting basically saying that uh international football it's it's uh, i'm paraphrasing but it's basically a consequence now it's not it doesn't have to draw and you were kind of touching on it you as well there saying there's a couple of top teams, but after that, the standard is very, very below average. You know, Russia 2018, Qatar 2022. I mean, is international football now just a politicised money spinner? Does it actually have any real value to anybody other than financially? 
I, I think at the major tournaments it does, and that's what makes the Danish loss so disappointing because even though we would have been a level below the standard, major tournaments are really great. I mean, just the vibe around them, the energy around them. The World Cup here in Brazil was absolutely remarkable, and to see fans from Chile, Colombia, Argentina, they were mind-blowing. Um, I think the Irish fans in France, as much as we say it's trite and twee and all of this, I think they did themselves and their reputation an awful lot of good. And and even though, for example, at the European Championships, Italy put out the reserve team, I mean, what that result meant and that uh, header towards the end, I mean, there's no denying everyone went bananas. So I think when you do make these major tournaments and you do make the breakthrough, there is a great excitement and a great joy and a great positivity around them. Yeah, but absolutely like the the country gets a huge lift and now next year we won't we'll have nothing yeah we'll have to wait till Japan 2019 <laughs> <laughs> well, what's in Japan 2019 the greatest rugby tournament in the world man will will Simon Zebo be picked no <laughs> he absolutely won't be it's an interesting one I can see both sides of it although I think the fact that Aki and Stander and all these guys are playing while he's being booted out uh, for choosing to make the most of his talent uh, be that financially be it career wise whatever is the reason he wants to do it I think that must sting Mm. Um, I I can see from the international perspective of why you want especially in a game as physical as rugby um, why you want control of when guys are playing yeah Um, well Johnny said will be in the the prime example. Well, well that, 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 that bugs me because it, all, all men, some men are more equal than others. Um, why was it okay for Johnny Sexton? That may have been a mistake if they're going to follow this policy. Um, you either enforce it or you don't. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I think that makes it look worse than it is as well. But I can, to a point, I can see the IRFU's view on it because they will not want guys to prepare for an international. They won't don't want guys coming off the back of, a say, a tough top 14 game missing half a training camp and, and arriving tired and not up to date on, on the schemes and the tactics and whatnot. Yeah. It's um it's definitely gonna be an interesting one. I think it's one that's gonna happen. We've seen over the last couple of years the rugby players more and more of them started ahead abroad. And fair enough Sexton was the most high profile but But still... it's it's mad because of the with the football team you have to leave to get on the national side. In the rugby team you have to stay in the country to get on the national side. You have to stay even if even if you're not Irish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know it's it's been great having you on. If people want to to read more of your stuff, you they, where can they find you? Obviously, give your Twitter a plug because that does be great entertainment. That does, yeah. I'm on, I'm on Twitter. Yeah. I, I'm in the Sunday Business Post. I have a column every Sunday there. I have a column in the Irish Independent every Thursday. I'm on Today FM, News Talk, and Bleacher Report. I do a couple of pieces for a year as well. Bigger stuff, kind yeah. of. Uh, a busy man. I am not so bad though. It's not so bad. <laughs> um, it's it's been great having you on, you and uh, really Thanks appreciate so much for it. your time. And um, I hope if if you do get to Russia and you, and you get to settle in Portugal, I hope it all goes well for you. I'm sure it will. You make the most of it wherever you are. It'll 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 all pan out so well. I can't wait to see Ultimate Frisbee taking over as well, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's the future, lads. It's the future. <laughs> Deadly. Thanks for your time, you and your agent. Yeah, well, thanks, Pleasure anytime. Take care of Take yourself. Take care. Thank All you. the best. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, that was you and McKenna. You and McKenna. I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, it is. He's been great crack on. Like he's he's one of them journalists that 
His writing is superb. His writing is unbelievable. He comes from the same kind of cloth of Dave Hannigan and Paul Howard and Paul yeah. Kimmage and all that, and all their writing just exactly. blows my yeah. mind. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. Like I before uh, before we had him on, I read one of his pieces just to kind of refresh my memory, and it was actually he kind of touched on it. He was talking about McGregor and when he first met him in 2013 in mm. the McDonald's on the Long Mile Road, and it was kind of the article was going from when he first met him to where McGregor is now. I think it was just before the Floyd Mayweather fight yeah, or just yeah, after it. It's brilliant. Unbelievable article. Yeah, yeah. There's there's and like Ewan and Ewan and, and Dave uh, Hannigan, I seek out their articles and I love yeah. them. Doesn't mean I always agree with them, but yeah, I just love their style. Yeah. Like I don't want like yeah, I've I've been disappointed with Connor's actions over the last while, yeah. But yeah. do I not support them? I think I'm still going to support him when he's fighting, but oh, I'm done with him. I I'm 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 far from done at the stage, but I'm just very very disappointed and let down. I yeah. just I just don't find the the whole situation funny anymore. Mm. I I want the old kind of Conor back, um, where he was somewhat modest. Now it's just all a little bit charming. Now it's just all about the money, and it doesn't matter about anyone else. And yeah, I'm bigger than everyone. And there's. The, the clip the clip outside of the tree arena was very unsavoury no, and I, 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 I was completely turned off yeah but. like like I, I, I touched on it when we were talking to you and about the whole kind of I found myself defending him more and more kind of yeah, thing yeah. and then I'm like why and even I know in this podcast I talked about it and that whole thing of like there's McGregor the man and McGregor the character yeah yeah but as Ewan pointed out as well it's almost as if the character has overtaken the man yeah. now and yeah. that and I think that's true and I think he's he's getting to the point now where the damage is becoming too much for it's kind kinda, of it's kind of like the casuals that would have you know kind of threw their threw their order in behind them and hopped but, on a bandwagon. But, I but think how how would the, how that. would here's my question to the the fanboys and the casuals? Yeah, how would they have felt <clears throat> after Nate Diaz tapped Connor out? How would they have felt if Nick Diaz jumped the cage? Yeah, yeah. Nick Diaz wasn't allowed to be in the corner of his brother, but what if he jumped the cage? Yeah. And was jumping all over Nate Diaz. The fanboys and the casuals would be well, no, out in numbers saying yeah. that's a scumbag thing to do. But even even at that, but in even, fairness, they were well, most still, of them were saying that the we no, was, no, but, but even at that, but, in, but but I mean, apply the full go to full length with that. Connor still on the ground after after being submitted. He's fair enough. Connor didn't get choked out, choked out. He tapped out very very quickly. Mm. But at the same time, you know the the whole thing of the law setting in, and if if the two Diaz brothers celebrating then had bumped Connor yeah, or yeah, yeah. you know in that situation of course it'd be outraged absolutely and, but anyway look anyway, um, you're done I'm not done yeah you and McKenna I'm not done yeah I, I really really enjoyed you that was good that yeah was it was really, brilliant really he's a great crack and make sure lads if you're not following him on Twitter do because he's he he doesn't let the trolls or he doesn't let the kind of keyboard warriors he responds to everyone he's brilliant like and he takes them to town it's, it's fucking very entertaining to be honest with you like um but and and he goes fishing for it sometimes as well, which yeah. is like he tries to poke the bear, which I'm not for. Go for it, it's great yeah. crack. Well, he knows he has them by the bollocks, so absolutely, yeah. Mero, are you gonna attempt to close him again? No, I'm too tired. Ah, we'll try well, next week. All right, okay. You're just too good at it. I wouldn't go that far, mate. I wouldn't go that far. But listen, lads, <laughs> you can get all their previous episodes on iTunes, on Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast Republic, Podcast Addict, anywhere and everywhere. There is a podcast just. Go and search WTS Pod and you'll find us WTSPod.com, Facebook.com forward slash WTS Pod Ireland and tweet 
at WTS Pod. Bingo. <laughs> I got nervous. There. Oh, he's at Merrigan Mania. He's at Dan Joe Murray. And that has been WTS one two four with Ewan McKenna. The great Ewan McKenna. Until next week. Clear oils. Full arts. Can't lose. Too sweet.